thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Good evening, church. Tonight's Bible reading comes from Mark chapter 5, and it's verses 21 to 24, and then verses 35 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the side of the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he pulled them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and said to her, Talitha Chayum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Hey, friends. Welcome to church. Um, I'm just going to pray as we kind of prepare to receive God's word tonight. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you tonight and we offer ourselves to you um, with open hearts and open minds to receive your spirit and your glory, Lord. Um, Father, may you give us eyes to see the wonder that is you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I was in the kitchen cooking dinner. My wife, Sam, and my son, Harper, were in his bedroom getting ready for bed. It was a normal Tuesday night. That is, until it wasn't anymore. And I wish I could, but I can't fully express to you what it felt like to hear my wife scream for help, only that it cut through to the very core of me. You know how in the movies, there's that moment, normally that pivotal point where everything slows down for everyone except the main character. For them, they're in normal time, able to take in everything that surrounds them. I always thought that was something that the movie makers did just to create a good sense of drama. 
But as I walked into my son's room, everything seemed to slow down. That is, except for my mind, which was going a million miles a minute. And as I entered, I took everything in. The look of horror on my wife's face and my son's rigid body on the floor. His eyes were open and fixed to the ceiling, but they saw nothing. And his teeth were clenched shut. And as I moved towards him and knelt beside him at what felt like a snail's pace, my mind was going in circles, mentally preparing myself to resuscitate my son. But as I came to his side and listened, I could hear the small beating of his heart and his breath escaping from his still tightly shut teeth. And I felt completely and utterly helpless. There was nothing that I could do but simply bring my mouth to his ear and whisper his name. And although I tried to keep my voice as calm and steady as possible, my mind and body was completely and utterly overwhelmed with panic and pure desperation. When we first meet Jairus, he's already in the crowd, pushing his way towards Jesus. But if we took a moment, it wouldn't take much for us to imagine what his experiences had been like leading up to this point, would it? All we'd have to do is close our eyes and we could see a gentle father making tea for his daughter to help ease the unrelenting but menacing cough that she's developed. It wouldn't take much for us to see his concern on his face as he wipes a cool, wet cloth across her brow in an attempt to break the fever that has taken over her. It wouldn't take much for us to see him leaning over his daughter's now unconscious body, putting his mouth to her ear and whispering with a tone of pure and utter panic and desperation, I'm going to go get help now. Jesus says, don't be afraid, but I can tell you right now, when it was my kid, I was very much afraid. And so even when Harper became responsive again, we knew we needed to go get help. And so we did. We went to the hospital. And like in most respectable health institutions, when we arrived, we received the most frustratingly painful words you can ever receive when you need help. Just wait here. And with a sense of urgency and anxiety, Jairus makes his way to where he has heard this Jesus is. He finds the crowd and with unwavering purpose pushes his way and makes his way towards Jesus, the sign of his hope and salvation. Can you imagine the relief he would have felt that would have just come flooding into his body in the moment that Jesus not only stopped for him, but after hearing about the plight of his daughter, agreed to go with him. Despite the immense crowd, Jesus shows himself willing to be interrupted and enters into the desperation of a lonely parent. It's enough to give anyone hope, isn't it? 
And then the unthinkable happens. He stops. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? I don't know about you, but I can very much imagine the internal dialogue that went through Jairus' head in that moment. Who touched you? Who touched you? Who cares, right? My daughter is dying. I need help now. Move, man. And as Jesus starts interacting with this other woman who I'm sure has her own problems, who I'm sure has her own despair and needs help, you can almost see Jesus give eyes to Jairus, trying to communicate eyes that speak three of the most frustratingly painful words you can hear. Just wait here. Thankfully, this is where Jairus and my story part ways. Because while, while Harper received the all clear, Jairus received any parent's worst nightmare. It says that while Jesus was still talking, while he is still interacting with this woman, while he's giving her all the hope that she needs, and Jairus stands there waiting, watching all the hope that he needs just melt away, he receives word that his daughter has died. And it is in this moment that we see the story swing like a pendulum between the extremes of human despair and of divine possibility. Why bother the teacher anymore, his servants say. And in this statement, we see the contrast between the way Jairus sees the world and the way Jesus sees the world. For Jairus, this statement, it encapsulates a complete and utter end to hope. Why bother the teacher anymore? There's nothing that can be done. She's dead, that's it, the end. Just go. Go and be alone in your grief. Why bother him anymore? Don't even say goodbye. And for Jesus, this statement is just the beginning. It's interesting, not in that translation, but in some, it says that Jesus actually ignores that comment. Why bother him anymore? Which I always read as being quite ballsy of Jesus. And I mean, I have come to know that Jesus is a pretty ballsy kind of guy, but any man who's willing to get in between a parent and their child is willing to lose a limb. Am I right? Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. Thank you. I see that hand. But Jesus chooses to ignore this. And the Greek word actually translates to he discounted the truth of it. He refused to acknowledge the way that Jairus sees the world. He refused to acknowledge that this was the end. I think Jesus knows better than anyone that death is not the end, doesn't he? So he says, don't be afraid, just believe. And in this simple command, Jairus, Jesus, sorry, is inviting Jairus in to see the world as Christ sees it, to see possibility in what many would seem would deem impossible. Jesus is inviting Jairus into faith. But you see, this invitation, it holds a challenge. Jairus can choose 
to only believe in what he can see, to only believe in what he knows, to what people have told him. He can choose to only believe in what circumstances allow, or he can choose to believe in the God who makes all things possible. Jesus is inviting Jairus into faith, and that faith holds a challenge for him, and it holds a challenge for each and every one of us. I've recently started reading J.M. Barry's Peter Pan to Harper of a Night, which ultimately means that I'm just living my best life, um, because it was and always will be my absolute favorite story. It welcomes you in to this world of splendor and wonder, this place called Neverland that Peter Pan himself says is a world made all of faith and trust and pixie dust. It is a place filled with joy, adventure, and endless possibilities. It is a place only limited by a person's imagination and their willingness to consider the impossible. And so it is a place for children that is just filled with awe and wonder because they can see the world not just for what it is, but for what it could and can be. And it's for this very reason that grown-ups can never go to Neverland. Because grown-ups, well, we're sensible, we're rational, and we believe only in what circumstances allow. A grown-up's world is made up of what can be seen and what can be touched. And so as I'm reading this story to my son and watching the wonder on his eyes just light up, there is something in the way Barry describes growing up and forgetting about that wonder that I think has a lot to do with us and how we grow up in our faith. Like the grown-ups in Peter Pan, we too can start to forget about the promises of Christ that left us in awe and wonder when we first came to know him. We can forget his power that makes those promises a possibility the promise that we can have life and have it to the full, the promise that we can know our heavenly Father, be in community, in relationship, in his kingdom, the promise that we can never be alone. But rather than seeing faith for what it could be or what it could do, I know for myself so often I see it for what it has become maybe better yet, for what I've turned it into. A list of tasks, of token actions and empty responses, of church services and Bible studies and prayer meetings that are all about ticking the box and not about opening up my eyes to seeing the possibility of what God can do in that moment and the transformation that I can experience. Why do I do that? Why do so many of us do that? Why do we allow ourselves to be blinded to the awesome wonder of God? Why do we place him in a box limited by our own constricted ideas and lack of imagination? How is it that we forget that once upon a time, 
We ourselves were only a thought of divine possibility that before God breathed life into this world and into each and every one of us, we too were but a dream, an idea, a figment of God's almighty imagination. And he had the power to make what seemed impossible possible, and he has all power and all authority over all of it. The 17th century philosopher René Descartes, I don't know if I pronounced it properly, and I don't really care. Um, You might have heard of him, he's the guy who thought, therefore he was. Um, He came to the conclusion that God existed. And the way he came to this conclusion was that he realized that the idea, the concept of God was far greater than his own capacity to think up. That he came to the conclusion that the only way the idea could have come into his mind was that God placed it there for him. God, our creator of all that we see, of all that we touch, of all that we smell and taste and hear, he is above all of it and can therefore work outside of it. And despite the fact that he is bigger than everything that we experience, we make him so much smaller with our own lack of imagination. We forget just what he has done and how it points to what he can do. And if we allow ourselves to forget that, if we forget to look for divine possibilities in the mundane, in the everyday, in the routine, then when despair comes, which, I mean, we know it will, when we are consumed by hopelessness and brokenness, we can become completely blinded to the hope of what Christ can do in that space. And so, like Jairus, we, f- we can find ourselves in despair and trapped by our own inability to see divine possibility and instead become consumed by loneliness and hopelessness. Keep believing, Jesus says, because when we open our eyes to the promises of faith rather than becoming blinded by our despair, then we are invited in to witness the impossible power and glory of our Heavenly Father. If we look at Jairus, and I'm not sure if you noticed this, he doesn't necessarily have faith, but rather faith has him. And he's leading him away from the end of his story as he sees it, away from his hopelessness and into the impossible that gives him hope. Jairus, faith has Jairus. And what that means is that our faith, or lack thereof at times, cannot limit the work of Christ, but rather our faith leads us to opening our eyes to the impossible workings of Christ. That is the promise that we have in Jesus. That is what we see here with Jairus, an invitation to open our eyes and see more than our loneliness, but see our hope. And that invitation of hope for Jairus, it led him home to his daughter. And it says that they were greeted by a great commotion of crying and wailing. 
It was the custom in that time that when someone died, you would bring in professional mourners, wailing women and people who could lead the family and the community in their grief. And what their presence speaks to here is just how quickly these people closed their minds off to the possibility and hope that Jesus could have brought. They would have known where Jairus had gone. They would have known where Jairus had gone and why he'd gone to find Jesus. They themselves would have heard the stories of this Jesus, this teacher, this healer, and the miraculous things that he had achieved. And yet they were still blinded and unable to see the possibility. So much so that within a few mere hours of this little girl dying, they brought in the professionals. Nothing speaks more to how we as humans are so hardwired to accept our despair and our hopelessness, our circumstances and our loneliness. So much so that the crowd even laughed when Jesus suggested that the girl was merely sleeping. But thankfully, their doubt has no power over the workings of Jesus. He does not need their faith to do the impossible, for it is actually only by his grace that he welcomes them and us into witnessing the impossible. All this crowd of mourners has managed to achieve is to separate themselves from that invitation that Christ gives to all of us. And so he puts them out before going to the girl. And he walks towards her, to the side of her deathbed, and he takes her hand. Once again, coming into contact with someone who is unclean. What we see in the Gospel of Mark, through the demon-possessed man, through the bleeding woman, and now through Jairus' daughter, is that Jesus is willing to meet those who were unclean the very people that society has banished, the very people who see themselves as alone and isolated, the very people who believe that their circumstances are completely and utterly hopeless. Jesus comes in and he takes the very thing that separates them, that isolates them and transforms it, bestowing upon them the cleansing wholeness of God. He is willing Christ is willing to journey to us, to where we are at, into our darkness and despair and loneliness, and with a word, do the impossible. Telethea Coim, little girl, get up. And as life returns to that little girl, as Jairus and his family once again receive hope in something that was considered impossible, so too do we receive hope. Because with this simple command, we witness that Jesus has all power and all authority to make those impossible promises possible. He takes the things in our world that separate us that isolate us, that leave us feeling alone, and he transforms it into an invitation, a welcoming into community, into the kingdom, into relationship with him. We need only the eyes that are open to see the impossible. We need only the faith that pulls us 
out of the loneliness of our despair and circumstances and into hope. We need only the ears to hear him whisper, do not be afraid, keep believing, for you are not alone. Amen. I'm going to invite Mark and the team up and they're going to lead us in a time to respond. May I invite you to stand with me now. As Matt said, uh, this is our res- response time. And we've been engaging uh, in this space over the last uh, few months as we take time to reflect on what it is that God is saying to us here in this moment as we listen to what we believe that God has placed on whoever has spoken to heart about what he wants to say to us, how he wants to change us and move us. And rather than going, hmm, that's nice, and getting on with our week, we want to take time to bed that in, to put into practice, to step into that invitation that God makes for us uh, right here, right now, so that we might begin to practice that and be continually changed by that. As uh, Matt was speaking, I was reminded of, uh, now I don't read books uh, very extensively, but this weekend I found myself outside a bookshop reading a snippet from Stephen Hawkins' latest book. And he, in answer to the question, is there a God, Hawkins says, the evidence suggests to him that there isn't, which immediately limits God to the bounds of human understanding immediately limits God to what we believe is possible. And don't we do this all the time? Don't we limit what is possible with God to what we believe and what we understand? And here, as Jairus was encouraged to do, was invited to believe in the impossible. And I believe that that, as Matt has been sharing tonight, is God's invitation for us to believe once again in the impossible that God can do. So I'm, in, I'm going to invite you in just a moment, as we spend some time praying together, to bring your impossible to God to bring that before him, to cry out again that he would be at work in your life. You may not have a sick child. You may not have a child who's on the brink of death. But your impossible might be a relationship or the lack of one. Maybe it is your kids. Maybe the impossible is your parents. Maybe the impossible is your health. Maybe your impossible is the health of those around you, those that you are at school with, those that you work alongside. Maybe your impossible is the state of our world, the condition of our environment. Perhaps your impossible is believing in your heart that Jesus is trustworthy and true and can bring genuine change to your life. Jesus is willing to be interrupted. So I'm going to invite you now uh, to get in the position that you are most comfortable in when you pray. 
And for some of us, that is with our eyes closed. But for some of us, that is with our eyes open and eyes to the heaven, expectant of what God might do in us. And I encourage you now, invite you into that posture right now. And I'm just going to invite us to spend some time reflecting on what it is that God brings to mind what is our impossible. And I invite God's Holy Spirit to come now. Not that he is not with us now, but that we might experience him, that we might recognize him once again. So come, Holy Spirit. Come and minister to your people. Come, Spirit of Jesus, to remind people once again that you invite us to bring our impossible to you. What is it? What's that thing? What's that thing that you just don't believe will change? And I encourage you now, just in this moment, to invite the Holy Spirit to be at work in that. spirit and increase faith in this place because by faith what was impossible is made possible where there is brokenness come Holy Spirit come and bring healing into sickness Lord, breathe health. Into the dark clouds of depression, Lord, shine your light. Bring hope which is stronger than fear. into the anxiety of the next few days of spending time with family. For those of us who find that a difficult time, Father, come by your Spirit and bring courage. Bring wisdom. Bring grace and kindness and compassion. Stir in us the fruits of the Spirit, of love and joy. In our despair, let us look beyond ourselves to the divine possibility that is available for all of us in Jesus. Maybe for you tonight, this is the first time you have accepted Jesus' invitation to bring whatever it is that's going on in your life before him. Give it to him now. And know that we are not alone. That his movement towards us brings us hope and that he dwells amongst us now by the presence of his Holy Spirit. 
say thank you. Thank you that you are with me. We are going to take this opportunity now to sing again. This is an opportunity for us to stir up faith within us. May I encourage you, often when we sing, we just mouth words. Let them resonate in your heart as we sing these songs. Let them shape you. Let them encourage those who are standing next to you. Believe them in your heart. Believe who God says you are and believe who we declare that God is. Our prayer team are going to be available at the front. If anything has come up, if there is an impossible that you need to bring before Jesus, then please bring that before Jesus. With someone at the front, they love to pray with you. Step out in faith and courage. We're going to sing again now.